0: Welcome to The Lending Lowdown, I'm CJ Doherty, Director of Analysis at Refinitiv LPC. And back in 2017, the Financial Conduct Authority, which regulates LIBOR, announced it would no longer guarantee LIBOR production beyond 2021. And this was extremely important for the financial markets, as LIBOR was one of the most widely used reference rates across loans, derivatives, securities and mortgages, and in fact estimates of the size of contracts tied to LIBOR at the time were in the $200 range, and uh, the 2021 date was subsequently extended to June 30th of this year. And as the June 30th Libra cessation deadline approaches, I thought it would be timely to take stock of the current state of affairs in the syndicated loan and CLO markets. And who better to sit down with and discuss it than Tess Bermani, Deputy General Counsel and co head of policy at the LSTA. So, Tess, thanks for joining me. Terrific to be here. Thanks, CJ. Thanks. And so Tess, you've been immersed in all things LIBOR and its replacement rate in the US, which is SOFR, uh, since the demise of LIBOR was initially announced back in 2017. And now the June 30 deadline is, you know, practically upon us. So let's start off by asking you to give us an overview of how the shift to LIBOR has progressed, you know, what has progressed well, and what are you keeping an eye on?
1: Sure. No, it's a great question. And, and, uh, both personally and from a market perspective, I'm, I'm very happy to see the June 30th date finally come and, and sort of move to the cleanups uh, left after the majority of transition happens at that date. So I think we are in good shape. I would caveat that with, we do tend to be a last minute market in the loan market. And so, you know, as I guess we could have expected, market participants are certainly going to be working up until the last minute. But I do think we're going to find that the transition was successful with with few problems. You know, we have seen in the last couple of months, a real ramp up in fallback amendment activity. I think just looking at May, Leffin Insights have recorded nearly $120 billion of fallback amendments and other transition activities. So that is um, not insignificant. And you know, the latest JP Morgan research shows that nearly half. Of the J.P. Morgan Leverage Loan Index is tied to to SOFR, a little less than that, but that data is also somewhat somewhat lagged. So you know we we've definitely made a lot of progress. Now half of the outstanding loans being tied to LIBOR isn't a small number and it certainly means there is a lot of wood to chop. However, there is a, a, a path forward in, in doing so because of those outstanding loans, you have 35% of, of them having hardwired fallback language, which means that there'll be an automatic transition to uh, term sofer after June 30th. And only about 8% of outstanding LIBOR loans have no fallback language. But again, those are that that number is small enough where uh, parties to those transactions can come together to find a path forward, how to transition. And in some cases, you know, perhaps those loans will actually look to synthetic LIBOR for some time. So I think all in all, we are going to need to keep up the momentum through June and, and you know, the few weeks after. But we are in a good place. And I think we will look back on the transition as having been relatively smooth.
0: Okay, so so good progress there. And, and then secondly, I want to ask for outstanding loans. There's the LIBOR Act. How relevant is this Act for Loans?
1: It's a it's a good question and, and one we get a lot. The LIBOR Act is incredibly significant for most legacy financial instruments tied to LIBOR because outside of the loan space, you really don't see the type of flexibility that we have in loans where borrowers can come back to their their syndicate and the agent can uh, you know manage a, a, an amendment process. So for most financial instruments, the LIBOR Act was was really key for them to be able to transition. It has less relevance for loans, particularly syndicated loans. It's not that the LIBOR Act carved out syndicated loans explicitly, but by the terms of the act, a credit agreement that references a specific benchmark rate would be out of scope. And given the prevalence of ABR as an ultimate fallback rate in credit agreements, it's basically understood that nearly all syndicated loans will be out of scope for the LIBOR Act. However, because the vast majority of outstanding loans have either hardwired or amendment fallback language, with um, only about eight percent of LIBOR loans having just a, f- a fallback to, to prime. Call these, you know, your your pre twenty eighteen deals before fallback language was um, included in credit agreements. That's a pretty small small universe, and so while the LIBOR Act is not so relevant, it's also not so necessary.
0: Got it. Yeah, and, and then. In- I want to ask more about far now, is it performing the way the market expected, you know, most notably in this ra- intre- rising interest rate environment that we're in?
1: Well, I'll say term SOFR is performing as it is meant to, but perhaps not entirely as expected by, uh, by the market. So, you know, if we, we think about it, term, the term SOFR curve is based on SOFR futures trading, which is fundamentally different than the LIBOR curve, which is based on a mix of interbank lending transactions and best judgment values. So this means that term SOFR reflects the market expectation of where SOFR rates will be at one month, Three months, six months. So this means that if the market expects interest rates to hold or even reverse, term SOFR will be flat or possibly inverted. So as market participants think about spread adjustments and comparing where rates are today, it is important that they keep in mind the different rate behaviors in considering these spread adjustments. You know, where we are today, the so the SOFR curve is pretty flat and, and where we are today, Six-month term SOFR is slightly lower than three-month term so far.
0: Okay. And, and going back to the loan market specifically, you know, it looks like the investment-grade loan markets, you know, it seems to have had a smoother transition to SOFR. You know, what's been the driver of this?
1: So I think there are a couple of factors that have led to this. You know, One is that it is uh, is just the relationship nature of, of the market and you know, the fact that many of these investment-grade facilities may be 364-day facilities in which there are really natural opportunities to make the transition. But probably the largest distinguishing factor between the investment-grade space and the institutional loan space is the negotiation over credit spread adjustments or CSAs. Um, We have seen very active negotiations over CSAs in the institutional loan market, and that has been something of a headwind to transition. Borrowers are also more sensitive to any real or perceived increase in rates in the the institutional market. So this is a, a very important conversation for them. Uh, so I think that is largely why there has been the difference. But again, you know, I do think that the building blocks are there for a successful transition in the institutional space as well. It's just been slower.
0: Yeah, got it. And uh, just to move on or a little bit earlier, you referenced synthetic library. Uh, to what extent are borrowers likely to use synthetic library, you know, which I, I think is going to be published until September 2024?
1: Yeah, this is probably the biggest area of focus right now and has been since the FCA made their announcement. So just, you know, as a reminder, the synthetic LIBOR is going to be equal to term SOFR plus the ARC spread adjustments. So it's actually the synthetic LIBOR rates are actually the values are going to be the same as the hardwired fallback language rates and, and what we're seeing in many of the fallback amendments. The difference is that the the synthetic LIBOR rates are going to continue to appear on the the LIBOR screen. So at the same screen that you're looking to LIBOR today, you're going to have a rate available after June 30th. However, it's going to be no longer representative, which is relevant for many credit agreements, but also it's going to be using this alternative methodology. where it is going to, in fact, be representing um, term far plus the relevant spread adjustment for that that tenor setting. And so synthetic LIBOR is of keen interest, I think, for those loans that don't have fallback language. So where the credit agreement could, by its drafting, look to the synthetic LIBOR rate, because it's a rate that that appears on the, the same screen. There's no discussion in the credit agreement about, you know, the methodology used or anything like that, then synthetic LIBOR offers a, you know, runway for a loan that would otherwise be going to prime. So for that universe of, lo- of loans, um, you know, I think, Borrowers are and 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 agents are going to be um looking at where synthetic LIBOR can be used where it needs to be used based on on the drafting. I mean, one thing that has made the LIBOR transition um so much fun is just the the variety of drafting. You know, we really don't have standardized credit agreements. And so there is a lot of variability in the way that LIBOR definitions are drafted and and market disruption provisions. And, and so it's it's very hard to speak sort of categorically or even in, in real broad brush strokes about credit agreements. But generally speaking, you know, th- those loans that wouldn't have a, a, a good way to avoid prime after June 30th, we'll, we'll be looking to synthetic LIBOR. And then even in the amendment approach loans, because there was such evolution in fallback language, and it really was such an iterative process, there is Fallback language out there, you know, amendment fallback language out there that would have the ability to look to synthetic LIBOR if an amendment hasn't taken place and the LIBOR definition was drafted in a way that you know, would look to the LIBOR screen. And so even in some loans where there is amendment fallback language, but an amendment hasn't taken place yet, we could see some of those loans looking to synthetic LIBOR. So certainly will be there for for pockets of loans. Again, it's not the end of the line. It is still, let's call it a a holding pattern until remediation can occur. But, you know, I do think that loans will be using synthetic LIBOR for some time. Uh, Loans that will not be using synthetic LIBOR are, of course, hardwired fallback language loans because they have a a trigger that includes um, LIBOR no longer being representative. And we know that the FCA will be making that statement. Also, loans with ARC amendment approach language will not be looking to synthetic LIBOR because the way the ARC language worked it has a benchmark on availability period concept where if there's an announcement that LIBOR is no longer representative, the credit agreement will look to prime. So in those loans, if there hasn't been an amendment to transition to, uh, to SOFAR, then after June 30th, the credit agreement will sh- shift to prime. And so at the next interest reset, prime would be the relevant rate unless a transition amendment takes place. So certainly some pockets where synthetic LIBOR will be used, and certainly some pockets where we know synthetic LIBOR will not be used.
0: Okay, great. And you've you've touched on credit spread adjustments already, um, and and there's been much discussion about them in the last couple of years. How relevant will they be going forward in the loan market?
1: I I think they are probably going to to, to work themselves out of the market. You know, CSAs really don't have much significance Outside of the transition context, they certainly have for this period, because CSAs have been important to have as a as a discrete component for some of the way fallback language was drafted to to make sure that a adjustment was included. It also, I think, gave some very helpful transparency into the transition process as LIBORs as loans Fall back from from LIBOR to SOFR, but going forward, it won't serve any specific function, and it it makes much more sense for the market to just price on on SOFR. And you know, we're already seeing in new loans that CSAs aren't as relevant.
0: Yeah, okay. And I want to talk a little bit about CLOs now. You know, obviously, the largest buyers of leveraged loans, and the the, the need for more a negotiation around credit spread adjustments when it comes to institutional loans. Uh, so CLOs are hardwired to use the, the ARC recommended spread adjustment when it comes to reliability notes. But if the underlying loans in the CLO price with a flat 10 basis point CSA, then CLOs must pay the difference to, the, to their investors. And, and obviously that's not great for CLOs. How is this playing out in the market?
1: Yeah, this has been a huge point of, of focus—the uh, CSA question over the over these last months of 2023. It, it, at the end of 2022, and even in, in January, you know, we saw quite a few transition amendments get done with 10 basis points, or, or even you know zero basis point CSAs. Then I think you know CLO managers and, and particularly CLO investors really started to focus on this issue and what it would mean if there is a disconnect in the CSAs and loans versus what the CLO notes are going to pay. And I think there was uh, it became one of the, the main points of, of focus and we've seen a really meaningful shift over these last few months toward ARC-level CSAs and fallback amendments. In fact, I think the last data I saw was something like over 75% of CSAs included in May transactions were ARC-level of 11, 26, 43 basis points for one, three, and six-month term so far. So that's that's a meaningful shift. It doesn't mean that some deals don't still get done with 10 basis points or less if Maybe lender consent isn't needed, or if the term loan B uh, term loan B pieces is, is much smaller compared to the you know level of uh, say bank lender representation, but definitely the the gravity has moved to the arc level CSAs in recent months.
0: Okay, great. So, final question for you, Tess, before we uh, we wrap up is. Will concern around SOFR adoption largely be in the rearview mirror by the, by July, or do you think the market will experience growing pains for a bit longer?
1: Yeah, so I mean, look, years of preparation have gone into this transition, and while this chapter of the transition, going from out, you know, really moving outstanding loans to sofa is certainly the hardest compared to. Say the, the end of LIBOR originations that we saw starting in 2022. But I, I think the, the outlook is good. I do think it's helpful to remember that while June 30th is the, the key date for credit agreements and for when the, the agreements themselves transition rates, it doesn't mean that it's going to be like flipping a light switch from a market's perspective for, for, for a few reasons. One, of course, is that the, Credit agreement may now have as the reference rate term SOFR, but it won't actually be used until the next interest election date. So until the the interest resets, you won't look to that um, to using that replacement rate, and and that is important too because that would mean that even where a borrower elects say six month LIBOR in that last week of June, that LIBOR rate will continue to apply to that six-month period, meaning that the first interest reset that would look to a non-LIBOR rate won't be until December. And so if the borrower and and, lenders had not been able to conclude a a remediation amendment by the end of June, that gives six months of runway to get that amendment uh, completed, which I think will be really helpful for, for some borrowers. But again, between when different interest rollovers occur you know, after June 30th, together with the, the possibility that borrowers will make some longer dated LIBOR elections in the next couple of weeks. I think, you know, it, it will be still something that is kind of actively occurring throughout the summer in terms of transition work, perhaps even for some uh, loans. You'll see this happening in, in December. But I, I think that that will just be working itself through. And so by, you know, by the end of the year, for sure, we will have had the market fully transitioned to, to SOFR.
0: And on that note, we will wrap up for today. Tess, thanks for joining me and sharing your insights. We look forward to seeing how things play out with the end of LIBOR and also with SOFR and credit spread adjustments going forward. I invite all our listeners to check out our loan market news and analysis at loanconnector.com. Follow us on Twitter at LPC Loans. I'm CJ Doherty. Subscribe to The Lending Lowdown on your favorite podcast platform. When you contribute your fixed income deals to Refinitiv, they'll reach over half a million buy and sell side professionals around the world and be included in our industry leading league table rankings. To ensure we're capturing your entire deal flow, Visit contribute.refinitive.com forward slash FI signup or contact our team at contribute at Make your deal count.